So last time we were together, last week, I talked about fear. And today I thought I'd share a sutta with you that's on um, sort of on the same topic, but it's a little more specifically working with the fear of death. And, and one of the reasons I chose this sutta to talk with you about it, because it's, it's called fearless. So really, really looking at how, how we might be fearless, even when we're facing death or, or preparing for that. And of course, the human mind always, well, almost always, wants to push that whole idea off uh, into the distant future. And we are reminded that it may not be so in the distant future, well, by Dharma teachers, <laughs> but also by um, those experiences like Matthias is going through with his mom and, um, you know, anyone who is ill when we become ill, when, when we, as we get older, um, as we are um, experiencing the passing away of good friends and family members. And of course, these days with the pandemic, we're still experiencing um, a higher, you might think a higher rate of, of people passing away around us often than maybe we've had in our lifetime. And of course, this is a theme that's quite central to the Dhamma and uh, something that is, is really important for practice. So this sutta appears in the Angotra Nikaya, the numerical discourses. And as I said, it's called Fearless. It's in the Book of Fours, number 184. And it's, uh, it starts with the certain Brahmin named Janusoni who comes to see the Buddha. And this Brahmin uh, appears a fair number of times in the suttas coming to see the Buddha. In fact, he's the one who asked the Buddha about uh, monastics being afraid practicing in the forest that the sutta we talked about last week, one of them, uh, in the in the numerical, no, sorry, <laughs> in the middle length discourses, it's number four, it's called fear and dread. He also asks the Buddha at other times about what happens after death. But here um, he's asking, he's saying, I have the view that all beings, everyone who's subject to death, who, that's one way of putting it, are liable to die. And of course, being liable to is a little bit um, euphemistic because there, there's a certainty there, of course. And, but there, all beings who are liable to die are frightened and terrified of death. That was his 
belief and assertion. And the Buddha says, well, some of those liable to death are frightened and terrified of death, but some of those liable to death are not frightened and terrified of death. And then the Buddha goes on to talk about four things. For instance, we're in the Book of Fours that cause a person or four grounds, you might say, for being afraid and four grounds, the opposite of which uh, are, are the grounds for not being afraid. And I think in these four, we have clues about what to practice in order to really be at ease with this eventuality and none of us knowing when that might happen to us. And that it's possible to practice to, to practice by the way we think, but also to practice meditation in a way that helps us to, um, to have a pattern or a habit so that at the time of death, we, we fall into that habit and it's, it brings ease and peace. And they say also a better rebirth. So what are the four? Okay, so he said the first thing, which is not a big surprise, given that we've talked about this before, is that someone who isn't free of greed, desire, fondness, thirst, passion, and craving for sensual desires or sensual pleasures is likely to be afraid when they die because they're going to lose that um, ability to experience those sensual pleasures. And They'll think the sensual pleasures that I love so much, I will leave, that will leave me and I'll leave them. And then they become sad and, and um, there's the kind of standard sentence, they'll sorrow and wail and lament, beating their breast and falling into confusion. Now, I think it's interesting to consider, I know I've had times in my life before, certainly before meeting up with the Dhamma, where um, I think I could see myself and my mental state described by that sentence. And um, it's, it's interesting to know that the opposite that we see later on in the sutta if we are not so attached to sensual pleasures, at least at that point in our life, then we don't have to feel so concerned about letting them go. The second one is the same kind of thing, but really focused on the body. So if we're really... Um, 
very fond of our body, then we might feel bad about losing it. If we live long enough, we might uh, grow less fond of our body, maybe. And so the Buddha said that if you don't have such an attachment to the body, you don't have that um, feeling of fear of losing it. The third thing is also something that won't be a big surprise because we've talked about it before, is that if someone hasn't done good and skillful things in their life, but they've done uh, the way they put it here, bad, violent, and depraved things, when they fall seriously ill, they think, well, I haven't done good and skillful things that keep me safe, is the way they say it here. And I have done bad, violent, depraved things. So when I depart, I'll go to the place where people who've done such things go. And they sorrow and wail and lament, beating their breast and falling into confusion. And then the final thing that Buddha talks about is if someone is doubtful, uncertain, or undecided about the true teaching, so basically has wrong view and is or is uncertain, that they also will fear death. But that if when someone is not doubtful, is certain, is clear about the Dhamma, they don't have to be afraid. They won't be afraid. So I thought maybe it'd be helpful to look a little bit on a practical level. Like what is, what is it like to practice with these four causes for fear or fearlessness? And what does it feel like as we go through our situations in our life where death comes closer to us and how that, um, that works, how that, you know, like what happens there? First of all, I think it's very important that we don't feel bad about feeling afraid. I think John Asoni, given the kinds of questions he would ask the Buddha, he was probably had a certain amount of fear and that there's nothing wrong with that. So natural. Um, this, is, this is completely understandable. But then how do we work with our mind? And one of the important practices for developing um, this kind of positive mental state around losing our body and losing our our um, connection to this world, although I don't really feel like we quite lose the connection to this world. And I had never really felt like the people I've been close to when they've passed away have been gone completely. I mean, I 
I feel they're on to their next um, <laughs> adventure, you might say, but that there is still a connection. And I don't think time and space really um, causes that to go away. So that's not quite what I mean, but the idea that we won't be in the world operating here, here in front of the people we care of, care about um, anymore. And how do we prepare for that? So one thing that we can do is to really bring, really develop the ability to bring to mind those good things that we've done. The, the love, the caring, the beauty, the kindness, the compassion, the generosity that, that we have experienced and that we have acted upon. And for many people, that's really hard because sometimes um, we feel like everything that we think of that we've done that's generous and kind isn't really enough. Like we think of these instances of things we do and we may think, oh yeah, well that doesn't really count because just that's what a person ought to normally do. Or maybe we um, have such a habit of focusing on the negative, the things that we've, the, the little bits that we've um, missed or made mistakes that we fail to actually bring to conscious awareness the things that we've done that are wholesome and good, caring and kind. And so you've heard me talk about this before, perhaps, but it's such a pervasive kind of um, mental impediment <laughs> that I think it's important to reflect on what your own experience is of this. You know, can you think of something you've done in the past that's, that you did you know, purely for the benefit of someone else? And when, even when I say purely, um, it's possible to get too um, kind of perfectionistic around it, but I don't mean it like that. But you know how it feels when you do something for someone and you feel good about it? Then to recall that experience, recall that feeling, and let that be the basis then, you know, for developing that feeling into a fuller experience and appreciation in your own being. And when we do that, then we, we start to, we can use that as a meditation object. I'm actually going to read something to you that Ajahn Jayasaro wrote. He said, the, um, let's see. he said that for most people, so, um, Maybe I'll just hold on a second. I think I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So there's, so there's this idea of letting go of the body. And this can be a practice, you know, really being present with the fragility, the 
um, the, the truth of the body, which many of you I'm sure know that practice well, but we need to do it in a way that doesn't create more fear or, or more sadness, but that it creates a sense of, yes, I, I'm willing to be with the truth. When, we're, when we see the truth of things, it makes us happier and feel more free. And so, yes, this body will deteriorate. It is. We can often, most of us can feel it happening. And that that's okay to, to ex, ex, accept and embrace the correctness of that, the naturalness of that. And that it's okay to not have a body that this separation of the mind from the body that happens when we die is something that we've been through many times before. We know how to do it. It's like the body knows how to die and we can help the mind by practicing that separation. You know, maybe Joyce can do that a little bit in the dentist chair, <laughs> you know, like where the, where we are, we are working with that advice from the Buddha where he said to um, Nakula Pita when he was old and he was saying how, you know, sick he is and everything. And, and the Buddha said, well, if the body is, is sick, is ailing, make sure the mind isn't also ailing. You know, because most of the time when we get injured or sick, the tendency is, to be worried about that and to think, well, now what's going to happen? And I'm going to be all right. And if we instead learn to keep the mind happy, content, uplifted, and, and do that in a way that's genuine, not just trying to make it look good on the surface, but to really, and this comes from really looking at the true nature of the body. And so we can practice this in different situations. How can I be present with whatever's coming up in my body and even the thoughts coming up in my mind, but there's that layer of wisdom and clarity that's separated from it, that doesn't go down the, the rabbit hole of worry and concern, but is able to maintain true equanimity and just practicing with that, giving ourselves a lot of space and kindness. And, and to, you know, when, when we practice, like even in meditation, we can practice, you know, what is it like, you know, it's lovely when our meditation allows us to experience the body sort of disappearing and, and take that um, any, any of the signs leading up to that or that experience as a little foreshadowing, you know, like this is, this body is going to kind of disappear and our mind is going to go on. Now, having said that, that comes down to this idea of having confidence and clarity about the Dhamma. You know, if we don't understand or we haven't had a direct experience to understand rebirth then we need to look deeper into that topic because the buddha very clearly identified that as part of right view 
if we understand that this life that we experience right now is one of many, and that this is an ongoing process that continues. This is just one chapter. And if we have that, um, that concern and care for other people in our life, we want ha to have that connection continue. We can also, um, possibly through meditation, come to being really clear that that does continue. It's not, but we also have to see the, the, the truth of um, going beyond a personal attachment to people, just like we go beyond a personal attachment to the sensual world. And this is part of, of really reflecting deeply on the Dhamma, practicing meditation, practicing the whole of the Noble Eightfold Path. And it starts with knowing that that's really the natural progression of our practice, that we come to a place where we have this love that's so much greater for the people in our life, for the living beings in our life, than a personally attached love would be that really allows for them to come and go to and from this world and for us to come and go from this world. And that love is still there in all its fullness. And it, and it encompasses all beings, all life. And it's like, it's, it's, um, this is, you know, kind of the result of practicing the Brahma Viharas and practicing, uh, really reflection on the Dhamma once we come out of meditation. That our whole view changes. If we feel uncertain about, you know, or afraid of losing the people in our life or of losing um, our own life, then, then this is a place to, to put some attention and practice and, and care. Now, we have to always be careful because as human beings, we can twist things a little bit and cause trouble, the, the, that the idea can be a problem for us. So we don't want to take this to mean, well, then I shouldn't um, be sad or I shouldn't um, be afraid or I shouldn't something else when, when these things are happening in our life like when our parents pass away or they're ill or our friends are ill or we are having some, um, you know, kind of health challenge that we have to go through that we may not um, outlive, that what we feel is what we feel. There's nothing wrong with that. And at the end of our life, we may not be all calm and blissed out and that's totally okay. But if there is a training in us that is open and accepting of whatever we're experiencing, and we bring, can bring kindness to that, then we have this, um, this part of our mind that separates from the body, that has a, a kindness and compassion there all the time, if that makes any sense. 
And this is something we can get to catch glimpses of at first. And then, you know, if we pay attention to that, we can help that to blossom in ourselves and in our practice. So now I'm going to come back to what Ajahn Jayasaro wrote. Uh, one of his um, heart and hand messages was, for most people reaching the end of their life, uh, breathing becomes labored. Meditation on the breath, even for experienced meditators, becomes difficult. At this crucial time with death approaching, the meditations that are most practical are those that use the power of recollection to stimulate uplifting emotions. So this is kind of what I was talking about before. Once we kindle that emotion, so if, if we, you know, like thinking of something that's beautiful that we've done, for example, something that really brings um, joy to the heart, Once kindled, that emotion can become the meditation object. So that feeling, if the mind starts to waver, then the meditator is encouraged to return to the original recollection in order to rekindle that emotion. Wholesome emotions systematically cultivated in this way can take the mind beyond the hindrances and into samadhi. And then here he's, he's adding that the most powerful of these meditations is the recollection of the good deeds that one has performed throughout one's life. When we recall occasions on which we acted kindly and purely for the welfare of others with no desire for any kind of reward, we feel an immediate sense of well-being. And this is true even for good actions performed many years ago. So you know how a memory is. We can bring up a memory from the past and the feelings that were associated with it just blossom right there. Um, if, we, if it's some memory from the past where someone did something hurtful to us, we can still feel anger. We can still feel sad. We can still feel whatever. But if we focus and we, and we keep alive in our mind the things that we've done that are good, then when we think of that and we smile, like, you know, maybe something comes to mind for you right now. Like there's something that you've done that you, you know was beneficial or you, and, and you have a good feeling about that and you bring that to mind. And then he says, um, to realize that such a source of joy and peace lies within us is a wonderful discovery. That we can come to that feeling by our own volition. We, we, come, we, um, we come to understand that no goodness is ever lost. Every kind action we have performed has added to the store of, quote, noble treasure within. So before we go to meditation, I think I'd like to hear if you have any questions or comments. Yes, Kim. Yeah, thank you for that. 
Um, I had the opportunity to do something very generous for a friend who had terminal cancer and to bring her and her husband ease and delight. I did it anonymously. But part, but my, my motivation was partly because I was in so much pain from the sense of helplessness of not being able to do anything to help them. And so when I was able to do this um, and, and, and see that they didn't, they didn't know how it happened and they were just so happy, it gave me such a huge relief. I mean, really, I was just sobbing from relief to be able to help them. So my question is really about, it's not selfless on my part to do these acts. These acts are, are motivated partly by compassion, but also greatly by my own pain that I'm trying to ease. So could you say a little bit of something about, you know, where that fits in? I'm so glad you asked this because I don't think that that motivation is hindering the beauty or the joy of your offering at all. Um, I think the kind of, um, thing that hinders the beauty and the joy of our offering is if we really want to get something back from the person. And I, I actually uh, worked with this question a long time thinking, oh, how can we perform something that's purely selfless? I even had this thought when I was a child, like, I don't think it's possible to perform an act of kindness that's purely selfless because we gain so much in the action and in the result. And how could we not um, want that, you know? But I realized that that's not the problem. It's like, yes, there's goodness and it feels good to be doing something good and that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that because it's, it's a little, I don't know if this analogy will make sense, but I think it's a little bit like the Buddha discovering that he didn't need to be afraid of or, or to push away the pleasant feelings that come in meditation because they're not the same as the pleasure from sensual experience. You realize the difference. Mm -hmm. and, and so he said, well, we don't have to be afraid of those good feelings. We don't have to just be afraid of all good feeling. <coughs> there's a difference. And so I think, you know, even though there's this uh, pain or concern or something that, and we want to do something like all just like you described, I don't feel like that's an in, in that inhibits the goodness. What do you think? Well, that's the that's the go-to thing whenever I'm trying to do this practice of remembering my good deeds because it gave me such joy to give them such delight. Yeah. Uh, so thank you because you know part of me is like, well, you know, I'm getting something out of it too. But thank I you think it's that, just right? natural. And, I, and totally okay. It's okay to feel good. Um, if it's based on sensuality, then the problem is those sensual pleasures don't last. Um, they're so fickle. <laughs> but if it's based on spiritual, ex spiritual experience, and, and you can say, well, that doesn't last either because it comes and goes in the mind. But when you touch back to it, it's there. Mm -hmm. It's different. It's got a different quality. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Val. 
Um, yeah, I wanted to, uh, first of all, this teaching this morning has been awesome. Like there's just so much good tidbits here. Um, and I wondered, I wanted to make sure I understood, did you say that when we're dying, that we need to remember to be kind to ourselves as we're dying? Is that a correct? That's correct. And, and we should be kind to ourselves all the time. <laughs> and so, yeah, for sure. Be, be, um, with a kind, with kind acceptance of whatever is arising, you know, like whether, you know, it, let's say you have some, some feeling of jealousy now or later or whenever, or some feeling of anger or, you know, some emotion or some thought that you feel is quite wrong or reprehensible. If it just arises like that, we can bring kindness to that. We don't have to feel like we're somehow bad. It's just old stuff coming up. It's, it's like having a dream. You have a bad dream. You don't beat yourself up for it. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's what we do with it then that matters. You know, am I going to be kind to myself if I can't, you know, like get into some deep meditative state as I'm moving towards death? I mean, this was, this was a question. Some of you may know the sutta where one of the Buddha's monks um, who was able to have good, you know, jhana meditation and, and he was ill and, and approaching death. And he said to the Buddha, I can't, I can't get into that, those states anymore. Am I losing it? Am I losing right here at this time? This is like the last kind of time I want to be losing the plot here. And the Buddha's like, no, those states aren't what is the crucial point here. You know, be mindful, um, stay present, bring up, bring up the good qualities, you know, don't be, don't, don't be afraid of that. And so, yeah, yeah. being kind is important. And, um, and then of course, doing whatever it is that uplifts the mind. Yeah. Yeah, something about when you said it during your during your talk just resonated so deeply with me. And I just thought that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever been suggested to do. <laughs> you know, as a person who has recently discovered how to be truly kind to themselves, I was like, wow, that is profound. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Welcome. Yeah, and it, it also shows us how important it is to practice that now. It's not like we're suddenly going to be doing something different when we're dying or in our next life. You know, if you don't like the direction your mind is headed now, it's probably going to head in the same direction when you get reborn. So just change it now. And, and you all have. So I'm like speaking to the people already on this but just that that's a good thing to remember like whatever you know we want to shift this is the time to do it memo yeah um thank you i uh, um actually 
the father of a good friend uh, died this week, and uh, I've well, what I've been trying to do is uh, send meta and compassion to the family, and of course, I assume we can do that for the dying, the, the person who died. But I also wanted to ask uh, regarding merit, the merit of our practice. Uh, is there a way to share it with the dying person, or or, or how do we do that? Yeah, we do it through our mind and through our actions. So when we do something, this is very uh, common. And, and um, <clears throat> actually, I think it's that same Brahmin, Janasuni, who asked the Buddha about this in one point, you know, like, does it help? And the Buddha said, it depends on where that person is headed. Um, but you don't worry about that. You do it anyway. And, you know, that's like with anything else, you give a gift, you, how that person is, how well that person's able to receive it, or if they can really take it in is not our, is not within our control or even, even our understanding. So we just do it anyway. So you can do things, actual physical things like, you know, um, making food offerings somewhere or <clears throat> making a donation to something. I think this is a lot of times why people you know, like for funerals, instead of, you know, in lieu of flowers, you know, make a donation to this charity or, you know, something like that. And if we do that with the, you know, the, the wish, the intention that the goodness of this action support that person, that actually has a, a real effect. That actually, the, the mind is powerful. It reaches beyond you know, what we can um, observe with our senses. At least our senses most of the time aren't um, so tuned into that, but it actually does help. Thank you, Aya. You're welcome. Okay, let's do some meditation. And in this meditation, I'm going to invite you to first of all become still, calm. happy, comfortable. And to breathe deep a few times and let your system settle.
And I would like you to bring a memory to mind that is of something you've done that's, that's good in your life. Something that brought up that feeling of happiness and joy. That comes from generosity or kindness. That may come from virtue. And then don't ever think, oh, that doesn't count, or that's not enough, or every little bit. However, we let go of uh, trying to place a value on it. Just notice the feeling. Just of that kindness. And feel it in the body. And see if putting your attention on that feeling can help it expand to fill the whole space. And it's no longer about the action, but about this feeling of joy, this kindness, this feeling of kindness. Really allow it to blossom. And just stay present with that feeling. Letting it grow, letting it bloom. And if it starts to fade, you can come back to the original thought of that action. Reinfuse it with that joyful, satisfied feeling.
If other thoughts intrude and hamper that feeling, then come back to that original thought, that good action, restore that feeling of joy and happiness.
So how was that? Or what, if there's anything you'd like to share, happy to hear about it, or any questions. Was it possible to bring up a, a thought that brought that kind of joy, even if it was subtle, up in the mind? And yes, Paula? I guess I can share my experience. It took me a long time to find something that I felt like was like worthy, <laughs> which I realized later was like, being too hard on myself. So I found, and it's hard to find something from long ago because it's hard to pull up the feelings that you had. Mm. I had like general thoughts of my life, what I do. And so I just kind of came up with something really simple, which was just a recent event where I bought masks for my daughter and her partner and brought them over to her and, and just, you know, gave them to them. And um, I, I thought it really didn't matter what it was. It was the connection to the joy, um, in the, the giving that mattered. So then I worked on that and I, um, every time I would kind of drift away, I would go back, drift away from the feeling. I would go back to what I did and I could pull that up again and it's, it's okay it wasn't a big deal but you did it and it was from your heart and that that's what we're looking for and um then I realized that this was like a form of meta meditation um and and for the first time I understood how meta meditation can be used to um bring up feelings of PT and how useful it was it was just a different angle that i had never tried in meditation and so um then i tried to like get that feeling to kind of just suffuse and i realized that you know it's not like a pushing it around it was just like a feeling that you could try to um get to and then, so for me, it was a really great meditation and I wanted to thank you so much. Thank you, Paula. I think you brought out a lot of really important points about this practice. It is about the feeling as you experience it in your mind and um, that joy, it's not really about the action. Um, I so appreciate what you said about how hard it is to bring something up from the past and get the feeling from it. It depends, you know, on what our memories are like, but, you know, and, and, and yes, everything you said is so right on. And then, you know, just to encourage the, the ongoing practice of this uh, and, and yes, how meta meditation can bring up PT. It can bring up complete immersion um, this is this is why the Buddha said that any of those Brahma Viharas can be used to become enlightened. You know, you can completely in, be immersed in 
you know, whether it's um, metta, karuna, mudita, or upeka, and you can, like, let that, that, um, yes, it's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's a, it's an energy in the mind, let that be the, the, the meditation object, and, um, and it's true, you can't push it around, you can't stretch it out or make it grow, but you can invite it. And you can put your attention on it. It's it's much more about being present and and just letting go of whatever might be holding us back. And and uh, if we if we do this regularly, then it's likely when we are running into difficulties that this might come up and give us a basis uh, for realizing that the mind, this mind will continue. We want it to be in good shape. You know, people say sometimes if, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. <laughs> and they're talking about the body, you know, gee, why didn't I eat better and exercise more when I was young or some such thing? Well, the body, yeah. Um, it's just gonna, it's gonna fall apart no matter what, but how about taking care of the mind? in a way that it's really in good shape um, for the next go round, And maybe even in such good shape, there are no more go rounds. Linda? Thank you, Aya. And I also really appreciated this talk and meditation. And I had some, um, some similar experiences, um, I think to, 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 um, what Paula raised, but what I'll like, for example, like find it, landing on something because you have that critical mind of like, I did that, but um, it, it's not so harsh. It's a little bit like, but yeah, I benefited too. Or like, and I know that no intention is pure until one is an arahant, but it's still kind of, so I skidded through a few things and then I landed on something not too long in. And it's a really super simple thing that um, raises incredible joy every time, a tiny, tiny thing. And then what happened from there was that um, I kind of reflected a bit. So I definitely could feel it. And it's very, fairly powerful. I do. I, I sometimes even describe myself like parentally a six-year-old who's dying to give you a present. Like, I feel like that a lot. Um, but what came to mind though, when I had a hard time, like finding something was just the idea of um, why is attention on a regular basis to, um, you know, how I think I've heard, I could be totally wrong, but like some, some people and other countries almost keep like a, a journal of good things so they can, but it's not just the tact of that, which I actually might do. It's, but it's paying attention to that feeling and cultivating that feeling on a regular basis. And it feels like a very wise attention thing. So that, and the connection back to my earlier point is that like, so that it's not like a mental exercise to just like run around and try and find something to have like a, you know, to pay attention and to cultivate. And so that it is, because um, they're there. But what I found interesting, sorry, I'll wrap this up. But what I, was, what I found interesting was 
I bet if I paid better attention, there'd be more of those incredibly simple things. Like they were there, I just can't remember them or I wasn't paying attention at the time. Yes. So I, I find it really, really beneficial. And I think I have an action that I like to take relative to cultivating that wise attention. And, and the mechanism by which I think I'll do that is like to actually like document it a little bit, not, but because that's a mechanism to do it. So it was really beneficial. Thank you. Yeah, I really like that you brought in wise attention. It's so true. I mean, this is what the Buddha was talking about, right? Where we put our attention makes so much difference. And we are so conditioned to put our attention on what we're forgetting, what we're missing, what we didn't do perfectly. You know, it's, and if we or, or this idea, really watch out for that idea that, oh, yeah, I did that, but it's not really worthy. It's not really enough. It's not really whatever. Stop it. <laughs> and, and the wise attention on that feeling of goodness and joy and being good is going to be so much more encouragement for that to blossom. And it's so true what you're saying. It doesn't have to be something big. The small, small or big, it's like when the heart has that felt sense that's that's really beneficial and the wise attention is paying attention to that so like you know i know you for you linda you do a lot of you give the you go to the hermitage specific hermitage and you make the meal offering and it's like whenever anyone i'm just using this as an example obviously from my world right <laughs> but this can be anything in the world that you're doing for to to give but it's so easy to be caught up in and i'm not saying you do this linda but i know that this is true for for myself for anyone i think it's so easy to be caught in um, did i do that right did i say that right did i like oh i forgot to put in i didn't put enough salt in this or i did you know like that can the mind can always go to that stuff and the buddha i think would say it's unwise attention and there's a sutta that talks about when you give, you think about this with joy as you're preparing the gift. You you have you notice and are paying attention to the joy as you're giving. You pay attention to the joy when you leave and you have joy about having done it. And you can do that with anything. You can do that with 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 giving someone a you know, with digging a trench. For example, digging it. In fact, I'm going to be digging a trench again this afternoon. <laughs> We've got more trenches still. Anybody want to come by? <laughs> but it's it's true. It's true. Any anything. Yeah. Thank you. Beautiful. Jules. Um. Hi. So. Oh, oh, yes. So I just like to use seasonal backgrounds. So that's. Yeah, it's great. Uh, um, what this has reminded me is about taking care of mind state because you want to get used to that at the time of death. And I know I need, there's some things like I, I've been working on 
feeling irritated with people because I have a tendency to do that. And I know that's something I have to be working against a lot. And I don't want to feel that way when I'm about to die. And then there's also the idea that maybe this is a good time to look for not just looking back at what I did before, but trying to find ways to be kind to me. Yes. So I have a store of memories, of even recent memories, so that, yes, I did this. So, so there's the um, development of, of virtue and generosity, and then also have, being able to re recollect those things that I can be working on right now to build those memories. Yes. Yes, wonderful, wonderful. Yes, and then it becomes a new habit of the mind with the wise attention, with the, the giving, the generosity, the, the sila, the moral virtue. It's like it becomes such a habit that when we get into rough spaces, that's what will come in the mind. Much better chance of those habits continue. And this is where this is where our will, our volition is useful. It's it's not about pushing to enlightenment. There's got a lot of self in that kind of an idea. It's more about how do I keep coming back to this kind of beauty and kindness and love and goodness and make that the 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 real fragrance of my life, the real kind of setting my life. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.